Hello, and welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez. And today I have author Martha Dasko with me. Welcome, Martha. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We are talking about a really important topic for reframing our mind as we're ending this tumultuous year and moving into a new year with hope and um, with you know, things that we don't even know really what can happen in the next year. And you have written a book called Pivot, Disrupt and Transform. And I believe it's also the subtitle is How Leaders Beat the Odds and Survive, correct? Yes. So um, I was fascinated with this because I, um, you know, the, the working title was like how to make 2020 the best year that ever happened. Do you know what I mean? Like instead of thinking about all of the things that were challenging, let's look back and say, look at all the things and the opportunities that we had. And so your book just really resonated with me in that. So um, welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So um, my first career was in corporate communications and marketing. I was in that field for about 10 years and worked in various corporations. Before I started working in marketing for a small consulting firm owned by Dr. Perry Gleckman. And shortly after I started working with him, and he was working with large organizations like HP and 3Com, helping the executives learn and apply Dr. Deming's philosophy of management. So shortly after starting with him, Perry said, I want you to do business development. And I said, what am I selling? He sent me off to Dr. Deming's four-day seminar. And Dr. Deming at the time was in his 80s, and he was teaching these four days to usually a room full of like 1,500 executives to learn his philosophy of management that he had taken to the Japanese after World War II. Mm. So at the invitation of General MacArthur, he went to Japan and helped Japan out of its crisis by teaching them his philosophy of leadership and they became a fierce global competitor after that. Then he came back to the U.S. He worked with the CEOs of GM and Ford and helped save our auto industry. So I was very fortunate to be working with Dr. Perry Dleckman and, and then meeting Dr. Deming. And because they were friends, they both mentored me. And I attended 20 of Dr. Deming's four-day seminars. Wow. And then I learned um, and we got some great clients like Pepsi and Dow Chemical and so forth. And then um, after a few years, I lost both of my mentors in the same year. And I thought, Mm -hmm. now what do I do? And well, we still had clients and they and by then I was consulting. And and so I continued to work with them. So this is like, what, 26, 27 years later. I have had my consulting business and have worked with organizations, uh, executive, executives and their, their teams to help them pivot and accelerate their businesses and achieve bold results they never before could imagine. So that was, you know, kind of the evolution of me getting into consulting and, and speaking to executives about how to p- 
pivot, disrupt, transform their organizations because so many leaders struggle, decline, and fail with their organizations because they go off on a path chasing management fads and best practices. Instead, there's a better way to lead and manage, and that is based on the philosophy that my mentors taught me. And that, then that's why I wrote the book to kind of put the examples and the stories and the philosophy in one place so people could really uh, grasp and embrace those new ideas and let go of the management fads and instead embrace better ways to lead and manage. Right. Because the new is not always better. Right. Sometimes evidence-based is good. (laughs) The latest fad, the latest um, best practice is often the things that managers will bring into the organization on top of other bad fads and best practices. And before you know it, You've got one bad thing on top of another and so much complexity, so much waste, so much frustration, such a dysfunctional, toxic sometimes environment that they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Tell me when you say pivot, um, because this word has been thrown around so much this year. So tell me what does the word pivot mean for you? especially because you've been using it pre-2020. So what does pivot mean for you? Right. And I'm sure that by 2021, I'll be sick of that word pivot. (laughs) (laughs) um, um, So pivot means uh, an abrupt, rapid change in direction to meet needs that were not there before. Mm. So when an organization, when leaders pivot, it means that they see a need and they match the need with an opportunity. So if an organization is um, faced with a shutdown, well, what can they do instead to serve their customers? Um, It was like quick examples. General Motors and Ford manufacture cars. But when America needed ventilators, they quickly changed their manufacturing uh, production lines and started making over 100,000 ventilators. Wow. And the same with um, breweries. I was just thinking that, that with the sanitizer thing, that was so brilliant that breweries like shut down, but then they, they changed and that was waste. Yes. That was alcohol waste. They, they pivoted and started making hand sanitizers. Yes. He's like Louis Vuitton pivoted and started making not the high end, you know, $5,000 for a, a, a dress. Um, and they, they pivoted and started making the, the gowns and um, so forth that the healthcare workers needed, the PPE. Mm, yeah. So there are so many amazing examples of pivoting um, that 
organizations did in order to survive and, and thrive. And some, for, for example, you can think about, um, you know, going to the gym. Well, what did they do? They, they took all their classes virtual. What did the schools do? They had to go virtual. Um, what did um, healthcare do to some extent? They moved to telemedicine. Right. So you didn't have to go to the doctor's office if you could go either by the phone or, or do a video visit. Right. So there's the, so the pivots happened across all industries. So pre-COVID though, tell me a story about maybe a pivot that you saw in a client of yours that wouldn't have been, that may have seemed smaller or less significant, but actually had a big impact. Like, is there something that you can think of that um, was like a small change that somebody made that ended up having a large impact where in the time it may not have seemed very significant, but then had this large result at the end. Exactly. So great leaders are continually pivoting. So it's not just during a crisis, although during a crisis, that's when you need the pivots or organizations don't survive. But um, great leaders are continually thinking about what do, what are the needs that customers have, current customers, and what are the needs that future customers, future markets may have? And so, so they are con- constantly innovating. It's not enough to just improve, so they innovate. So, for example, there was a, a client that I had. They were a $30 million auto dealer. And they, uh, the owner said, I want to go to 35 or 40 million, but we have all these problems. Can you, can you help? And I said, I don't know. I have to take a look. I began to work with them. And, and I told him that number that's in your head that you shared with me, you don't want to go to from 30 to 40 million. Just keep that to yourself. Cause I don't know if we'll go from 30 to 32 million or we'll, where we'll go. And what happened was we put together the new leadership education and thinking and systems and processes and built a new culture, put together a management team and long story short, went from 30 million to 300 million. Wow. And it was that they continually improved, but they also were doing pivots all along the way. Yes. Yeah. I love that. It's almost like this is the image that I think of as like a cartwheel. You know what I mean? Like you, because if you look at a cartwheel from any standpoint, like you're either, you're either doing a handstand or you're standing up, like doing a jumping jack. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're having to constantly be in motion doing something. That's amazing. What, um, how have you had to pivot this year with COVID and with the, the pandemic? How has your business changed? So um, my plan for 2020 was to finish off with some con- great consulting clients that I had and pivot to uh, become a professional speaker because I had been so busy in the past couple of years, I hadn't really had a chance to market my book or to get the messages of the book out to more and more people. And I really wanted to make a difference because I'd use the book with my clients and my MBA students, but the messages in the book are so needed by so many 
different organizations because like I said, there's the, like the fork in the road and too many leaders go down the bad fork just yeah, because absolutely. they don't know that there's a better way. So, um, so when, when I finished with my client and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go on stage. <laughs> the world said, no, you're staying at home. Just Stay home. <laughs> so it gave me, uh, it gave me great time to do a lot of development work, do a lot of writing, um, put out a lot of, um, new information, like through my newsletters and LinkedIn and articles and so forth. And I write a column, a leadership Q&A column for the Silicon Valley Business Journal weekly. So I was just helping people through those different mediums. And then the, then the shift to virtual is, okay, now virtually I can give speeches, do webinars, facilitate workshops yes. and executive retreats. So that was the pivot that I'm I made. And now it's a matter of letting people know that I do all those things and can yes. help them because uh, people did call universities and job centers and um, uh, entrepreneurial um, organizations and said, Marcia, can you do a webinar on such and such? You know, how, how to pivot. And I would put in my newsletter too. If people need help, don't just hunker down and call me, email me. It's like, I'm here to help people. And there was one gentleman who called and he started the conversation with Marsha, my wife and I were just talking and we don't know how we're going to make the mortgage payment next month. That's where we started. And so I started asking him questions about what his background was, his knowledge and so forth. At the end of 30 minutes, we had a plan for him to start a new business. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So it was just, it was brainstorming. It was questions. It was what if, what if, what if? And he'd say, yes, yes, yes. And he said, well, how do I charge for that? And I said, well, what if this, this, or this? And it's like, he had a plan. He That's could awesome. go up and implement his plan to cr- create a new business. So there are, there are organizations starting new businesses. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about disruption. I actually love this word because to me, it means like my definition of disruption when I think of it is like rebellion. I wrote um, true to self against the status quo. Like, um, like disrupt to me is like to hell with it. You know what I mean? Like just really get in there and like mess, like give it a little noogie. You know what I mean? And, um, but tell me in a business sense and how you define disruption and disrupt, um, you know, what does that mean to you? It's one of my favorite things to do. Right. (laughs) So, um, when I start every presentation or speech, I start with my aim is to provoke your thinking. Ooh, there's so, another word that I love, provoke. That's so good. Yeah. So I, I say I'm a, a pivot provocateur. I'm um, people have called me a, a contrarian. I think maybe Daniel Pink or Ken Blanchard, who endorsed my book, um, one of them called me that, I think. And um, so it means 
Yes, get out of your status quo. So there's there's a book I love called Mindset by Professor Carol Dweck from Stanford and a, a seminal oh, work yes. that she wrote decades ago, I think. And another favorite is called The Goal, actually a, a fiction book. But um, Carol's book and her thinking is about um, you. people have a fixed mindset where it's very limiting or people have a growth mindset. And of course, people have some of both. You know, there are some things we, we don't want to change some things. But basically, some people are really, they get stuck. They automatically get stuck. Woe is me. I'm the victim. And we saw that when people didn't pivot. When, when March, sh you know, shut us down a lot, a lot of people just immediately shut their doors, furloughed the, their staff, um, and went into this, woe is me mindset. Other people immediately pivoted. They, within a, within a week or two, even, they thought of, they thought of ideas. They were brainstorming. They pulled their team together. They thought, what, what are the possibilities? What are the opportunities? Who can we serve? How can we make a difference? That is the growth mindset. That is not being stuck today, but thinking toward the future, whether that means a week or a month or a year out. That fast food or medium fast food, like not like fine dining, but like somewhat fast food, you know, and even maybe some like, um, you know, cult like cultural foods and whatnot have done a really phenomenal job of pivoting um, to takeout. Yes. And um, I've seen, I was just like driving by, I think I was driving by a McDonald's yesterday and I was just thinking like, I wonder the last time that lobby has seen a person. You know what I mean? Like, and, but they're doing fine. I mean, like they're, I mean, they're like people are just going through the drive-thru, you know, they're just going through the drive-thru. It's like, no, you know, like we've adjusted to this, you know, um, Thing. And I think there's some mourning of the norm, you know, like sometimes we, when we pivot, sometimes there's things that we lose, you know what I mean? Um, but sometimes it's, it, it's actually good. Like, I don't know. I just remember thinking that, um, you know, we have a local um, Vietnamese restaurant too, that they are just like booming. I mean, like I've never seen it so busy. Yes. Because they have DoorDash coming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And they're like doing business like nobody's business. And I've noticed that like DoorDash and Uber Eats have widened their territories. Um, so they're accommodating more people. Um, and so then you have more selection available in terms of restaurants and things because you're going you can order from a little bit farther away. And, um, and so I think there's that, you know, restaurants is a fantastic example of this growth and this fixed mindset because a restaurant could say, well, we can't seat clients, we, you know, we can't seat customers, so we have to close our doors. Whereas even, I mean, we have very, very dear friends and they have a extremely high-end um, fine dining Italian restaurant and they're still open and still doing okay through doing takeout, but they're trying to provide like the elevated experience through takeout. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you don't want to do fast food, you can order from us 
and we'll give you this elevated experience of authentic Italian food, you know, you know, something like that. So I love that. I love that example. Um, have you ever found, um, my other question was like, is this where innovation really comes in? I know innovation comes in with pivot, but with disruption too, like, you do have to kind of, if you're going to get in there and disrupt, you really have to like mix it up and have a plan for how you're going to mix it up. Um, and my question was going to be like, what if a business owner thought that their business wasn't disruptive enough? Like I just, well, I'm just Joe Blow and I own a donut shop. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know how to disrupt things, you know, like, is this important for me? And if so, if this is important, then how do I make my business in align it with this way so that I can be sustainable and successful and, you know, and move forward from there? Because there are businesses that are more traditional who may hear a word like disrupt and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. You know what I mean? And so, and I'm sure that it does. Right. Or they resist. Sadly, there are stores and restaurants and they they just it, initially they resisted and they thought well we'll just wait till it's over and as time went on they saw that they were either going to lose their business or disrupt themselves and and we're going to see you know when we finally come out of our houses again and you know maybe 6 months from now whenever and we drive down the street there are going to be new places that didn't exist before. There are going to be some places that survived it and others that thrived. And it depends partly on mindset, (coughs) excuse me, partly on mindset, but, and opportunities. And like some restaurants said, um, they had such a large restaurant, such a big staff. And when, for example, they couldn't accommodate people in the restaurant, but they maybe built out tents. But now in California, for example, we have no outdoor dining. So it went, you know, they, they had invested in tents and tables and so forth outside. And that now that's gone away for a time. That's why the mindset has to continually be on pivoting. And the reality is that let's say that a restaurant did have a staff of a hundred people and just doesn't have enough business to keep a hundred people employed now. So some of the people have to pivot. Some of the people have to um, disrupt themselves. And, And as we've seen some organizations pivot and and grow so rapidly when some organizations either had to pull back or shut down or and lay people off the people can also pivot or sometimes an organization will partner with another organization in order to keep those people working and then when things calm down again or or pivot to a new reality, they people will shift in what they do. For example, let's say that that a restaurant had to lay off 75 people out of 100. Well, those people can then pivot their careers. 
And they can go to um, Amazon, Costco, Walgreens. I mean, there are also hundreds of companies hiring like crazy to keep up DoorDash. I mean, because the demand is there in different areas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the demand is there in different areas. Exactly. I had um, uh, one woman that I was speaking to, and she had been in a corporate job, and um, they furloughed her at first, and then they ended up dissolving her position. And so she enrolled in nursing school. Okay. And she, she's like, I'm just going to do nursing school. And she's like, I already had some credits under my belt. And um, so she's like, I know they're going to need nurses. So now is the time for me to like, if I can't go out or if I can't do this, then I'm going to educate myself. And I just thought that was, you know, genius. I know for me personally, disrupting meant a lot of things. There was a lot, um, like the, the beginning of the year, I was still figuring out Um, there was a lot of spaghetti thrown against the wall and things were very successful and I had very happy clients, but there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason behind like the direction and the clarity of the mission of what my business was doing. And, um, and so then um, I, I spent the first part of the year really like ruminating on that and worrying so much about it. And then it was like COVID hit. And then it was like, oh, well, I don't have to worry about it because it's just like, it's all just become abundantly clear for me. And I just became more open to allow, like, I just, it's almost like I allowed myself to be the plastic or the, like the feather or the plastic bag or the feather in Forrest Gump, you know, like just see where this takes me, just see where this takes me. Okay. This is where it took me. And then it like stuck. And then I was like, okay, and now, and then things changed again, as they do. And it was dramatic and I had to pivot again. And I said, um, you know, we actually joked around because my um, business manager is like a master in tarot card reading. And somebody else had told me this, that there's this, the card that people are afraid of called the tower card. I'm not into tarot very much. But where people are afraid of it because everything is like basically the shit is falling down, like everything is coming down. So people are afraid of this card getting pulled because it means that everything is going to come to the ground. You know what I mean? And I was like, we're in our tower period right now. Like just the shit is just coming down. Like, and you know what? just bring it on. Just bring everything. Just bring it all down. Just bring it all down. Like, let's do it now. Let's bring it all down, 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 down to the ground down to the nubbins. Now we're clear. We're at the nubbins. We're clear. This is what we are. This is what we do. This is how we do it. Okay. Now let's refine. Let's refine the hell out of this. We do these two things. We do them really well. Let's do it so well that no one can replicate us, but you have to sometimes go through the tower period where it all just like comes down so that it can become clear for you. And so it was just like, it was kind of an interesting like analogy for me because it was like, uh, you know, not something that I'm super familiar with, but I, but that was, that was our little mantra for ourselves. Like if I just have a hard day, she would say, right. It's okay. We're in a tower. We're in a tower period right now. So it's fine. It's all normal. Nothing to see here. It's all normal, you know? So, um, I just like, I, I think that it's so important to, 
um, to be disruptive because that is what brings the spice to life. You know what I mean? Like that is what, um, if you can't disrupt, then nothing new happens, you know? And that's what we bring to the table. We are all unique, divine, um, dynamic people. And if you don't disrupt, if you just go status quo, and I was going to also say for the, um, is it Carol Dweck? So she has a TED talk for the, for those who don't want to read the whole book, watch the TED talk. It's phenomenal. Um, and it will change how you think about everything. It's so, so good. Um, but you, you must disrupt, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, political it's, you know, like, I mean, everything about this year has been, you know, like, uh, and we don't, I don't want to talk politics. I'm just saying like, you must be strong in who you are enough to stand up and say, this is who I am. You know, like I cry on social media on the regular and I'm like, okay with that. You know what I mean? I'm a vulnerable person with a lot of emotion, but I think if you rewound, you rewound like five years, there's no way that I would be okay with that. I've done a lot of growth in this time period where I've been able to say like, it's okay for me to be real with people and people respond to that. Like literally just somebody yesterday, I make these ridiculous live videos, like just dumb live videos. And somebody yesterday was like, Oh my God, I love your live videos. And they're nothing like they're not TikTok viral or anything. I'm just like, Hey y'all, I'm in my car, just got my coffee, you know, just checking out how you're doing. This is what I'm up to, you know, just like, just like talking life with people. And, um, but sometimes you, sometimes that's disruption, being real, you know, like not being fake, like not having contour on your cheeks, like coming naked face with a hoodie and your coffee or your diet Coke or whatever it is. And just being who you are, sometimes that's disruption enough. And it's so, so necessary in the business world because, um, because that's where the newness comes, you know, and it, and it's also like, um, I think there's so many businesses, like it doesn't have to be new. There are many, many tried and true businesses that are known for being disruptors. You know what I mean? And so I think that, um, that that's my soapbox. I will turn it over to you. I just think it's <laughs> amazing. Like, I just love the, to me, like, I just imagine like a brick and mortar with a mohawk, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the rebellion of just being tried and true to like who the brand is, like, who are you? And maybe that's the part where people have a problem with disruption if they don't have a full self-knowledge of who they are as a company and who, how they're different, how they stand out. And if they don't have a full grasp of that brand and of their specialness, then disruption, I could imagine, would be really hard. They might have been a different, they might have been able to differentiate in the past, but it doesn't yes. mean that that lasted for five years or 30 years. Right. And they do need to do their pivots. It's a, either uh, disrupt or be disrupted. It's kind yeah. of. It's kind of like when when Uber and Lyft came along, what it did to the taxi service, when Airbnb came along, what it did to the 
hotel business doesn't mean that those businesses go away, but they, they had a differentiator that met a different need and they went after that. They created their market and they, and they go forward. And um, I, I have a friend who has been a serial entrepreneur and he started another business uh, in the past, I'm going to guess year or two. And he says that he's going to be the competitor for Amazon. That's a bold. Bring it on. Ooh, yeah. I want to know about that. That's awesome. So, and his thinking, um, I, I just read a, a little bit about it. Um, he's going to he said, basically employ like 60 robots. And I'm like, how can that be enough, you know, to, to be a competitor to Amazon? So we'll see because the other question would be, well, Amazon's not sitting still while you're growing this business. So, but I think that um, the people who are going to do well through 2020 into 2021 are the people who are the most creative because they're going to be resilient, adaptive. They're always going to be looking for new ideas. And when you mentioned innovation, creativity is coming up with new ideas. Um, but innovation is taking ideas to market, taking ideas to make them useful. Yes. So, that, that's a distinction between creativity and innovation. But I love that. Being resilient, being adaptive, you know, continually and, and putting the grit together with it. So you've got to come up with the ideas, but then make the ideas, you know, happen. So make them operational, whatever. And, and like, like my mentor taught me, um, the PDSA cycle, plan, do, study, act. Do the PDSA as rapidly as you can. So plan something, do it, study what worked, what didn't work, standardize what worked, and do it again and again and again. Maybe some organizations will do the PDSA. Let's say they have a manufacturing process. They'll do that 30 times in a day. Other people, let's say they are in R&D. They'll do their PDSA once a year because that's how fast they can collect the data about a new, let's say, vaccine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, I love that. How have you in your platform, how have you used your platform to disrupt in the business world? So... The disruption I think that I bring is to ex especially organizations who are in a crisis, near bankruptcy, or the opposite, have such growth ahead of them, they probably don't even see it, but they need to scale rapidly. And so those two what I bring, because they're usually stuck someplace. They, they can identify a lot of the problems, but they don't see any of the solutions based on what they've learned so far in their careers. And they say, you know, Marcia, and then, then I take them through 
just a few days of new education. And they say, wow, we have been struggling with these problems for years. And like a company president said that to me one day, he said, Marcia, I've had these same problems for 10 years. And you come in and within a matter of days, you help us see the possibilities, the solutions, a better journey to go on in order to um, create the systems to deal with these issues and to serve our customers better and to grow our business. I actually just like got a visual of what your like divine gifts are. Like, it's really interesting to me because I'm a big picture person and I can see um, like not for myself, but I can often look at like small businesses in particular and see different like uh, like the rabbit race, you know, tracks but mine is very customer centric. So like how, how their um, customer path is what I envy. And what I love about what you just described is that you're able to distill down and like show the possibility of things that people are struggling with and make it into something that is like, okay, where's the problem here? This is awesome. We've got this option. We've got this option. We've got this option. You know, we've got all these opportunities and that's what it is. These are not problems. These are opportunities. We could go down this way or we could go down this way. And I think that it takes this um, critical uh, thinking that some people are just really the strategy and the, um, and the breaking things apart. And it's almost like you have puzzle pieces that you're just sticking little puzzle pieces. Nope, not there, not there, not there. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Whereas then there's other people who are more like overarching themes, see the big picture type thing where, um, details is not my strong point. I hire for details because <laughs> I need, I need someone to do that for me. But, um, I think that's, that's phenomenal. And it is, it is so important to know that there is that type of help out there too, for other people. Um, you know, whether that be from, you know, maybe not everybody can afford to hire a high level executive consultant for their business, but they can maybe buy a book. You know what I mean? They can, they can read an article. They can like, definitely everyone should be following Marsha on LinkedIn and reading her articles you know, consuming information that is valuable, that helps you think in a different way and maybe sparks an idea that could help you pivot or disrupt in a way um, so that you are not pivoted on or disrupted on, you know what I mean? Because I, I think that there, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are stuck, you know, and um, it's not gonna get better for a little while. So we need to like, you know, so, so this is something where there is help available, whether that be on the internet, or I was going to say interwebs, uh, um, on the interwebs um, or in a book or, you know, or whatever, or if you have the monetary resources to hire somebody who is a consultant or a coach or somebody like that, who can help you think outside of your normal um, realm of what you're, what you're looking at, because nothing that we did before is going to be the same. Right. And even what we're doing right now in a year probably won't work. Like we need, we're going to need to pivot everything all over again 
because once we hit our new norm, we're going to have to rethink everything all over again. And so this is something that we need to get real cozy with because nothing is ever going to be the same. And so it's something that you've been saying for years, but people are finally starting to catch up with you and understand what you're saying. And so I just think that, um, you know, that's, that's so important. And, and also for people to know this is accessible. This information is accessible for free. This information is, is accessible at low cost, or you can make an investment in your business and you can hire someone to help you change your thinking and change your business in the way that it's running. And I think that that's phenomenal. Um, so I want to get to transform and I'm guessing we're not talking about metal changing cars here. Um, so tell me and define for me what transform means for you. So transform is a kind of change that means going where you've never been before mm. and you cannot go back. So for example, there's transactional change, transitional change, and then transformative change. Transformative change is what we want to go into the future. And when, we, when I talk about transform, it, it means like the caterpillar becomes the butterfly and the butterfly will never go back to being the caterpillar. That kind of blows so, my mind a little bit. I just want you to like, it's such a simple and concise definition, but it really does blow my mind. Like, you know, in terms of like, when you take it internally and you think like, I can transform myself, but we always have our plan Bs, you know? <laughs> Like, or we're like, well, if this doesn't work, then maybe we can go back to doing this, whatever. But what you're saying is no, you no, know, no. that you need to, you need to take that plan B and throw it in the garbage and transform into something that is so new, so amazing that you would never want to go back to what you can't go back. It's not possible yeah. to go back to what you were before yeah. because you are a whole new business right. creation person, all of those things. So the transformation first happens personally. So an organization doesn't transform without the people transforming first. So for example, um, when I go into an organization and I do the assessment, first thing that I do, I, I talk to the people to learn about it. And I'm learning through a lens that I have that I'm so fortunate to have. So Dr. Deming and, and and Perry Duckman taught me the system of profound knowledge. That's Dr. Deming's philosophy of management, philosophy of leadership. When I talk to people, I am looking through this lens of, of deep knowledge. So Dr. Deming gave us a theoretical foundation of management. So when I look at an organization, and its culture, and its decision-making, and its systems and processes, its waste, its productivity, or lack thereof. I'm looking at all of that. I'm looking at their data over time. I'm looking at, uh, do they have data? I'm looking to see how they collaborate. Do they collaborate? I'm looking at how they think about their competition. You know, do they compete? Are they aware? Um, so through that lens of... Uh, 
systems thinking, statistical thinking, theory of knowledge, theory of um, psychology of people, that's, those are the like four parts of the system of profound knowledge. That's what I'm looking through. And that way, then um, after my conversations and interviews, then I, they, I give the owner, the president, CEO, whoever, the, my findings and my recommendations for next steps. And so if an organization um, is near bankruptcy, if they're struggling, well, the, if they keep doing what they've always done, they're going to go out of business because they don't know anything new. And I've, I've walked into organizations before where presidents have told me um, I had to borrow the money in order to have you come. And I have a short amount of time, maybe a month or two, to get that organization turned around and then we go on a journey to double, triple, exponentially grow their organization. I don't say I do that with exponentially grow all of them, but it's pretty typical that they double or triple revenues with, an, with a team that knows how to work together, that knows how to have the workflow, the information flow, the communication flow to serve customers. And that oftentimes is one, a couple of the fundamental um, tenets that I bring back to an organization, uh, the owners or the executive teams thinking about that is that we have gotten really far away from focusing on quality and focusing on serving customers. So if, if those two things, improving to serve customers, and creating great customer experiences, delightful customer experiences. If we got there, if every organization got there to really care and have the work ethic to put into making that happen, then our, our country, our society would transform. And it's, it's true also in schools. Our education system is so broken. It so hurts my heart. But part of it is, Dr. Deming talked about forces of destruction. What do we put in our schools and in our workplaces? We put in grades and tests and win-lose. You got to get the blue ribbon. You've got to compete You've got to go for the incentives, the commissions, the quotas, the arbitrary numerical goals. And if we got, and because of that, I see more than 80% of waste in our organizations. It doesn't matter if it's a company, a Fortune 100 company, um, uh, education, healthcare, military, there is waste. And we've got it across the board. And if we focused on reducing the waste and improving the productivity, and I'm not just saying like for manufacturing, I'm saying it across the board in service organizations, in education, in government, every place. If we got rid of the waste, we would be more satisfied in our, in our work, in our education, in, and, and, in, in, in all of the outputs of some of those systems, I remember the CEO of Xerox, David Carnes, once saying, 
that our education system was broken. And that was 20 years ago, I think he said that, and 25 mm-hmm. years ago. And he said, if we solve that problem, the problems in the education system and created a new system, we would get rid of a lot of the problems with gangs, with drugs, and so forth, because that system, that broken system of maybe education and family system and other inter- interrelated things, if we would fix those, we would fix a lot of other problems in society. So true. So true. Well, I have three questions for you. One has to do with transformation, and that is, how are you planning to transform for yourself and your business in 2021? What's the Marsha transformation plan? Where am I going that I've never been before? What can I, um, um, the thing is, you can't always imagine. I know. And, and I'm, um, I'm a person that loves, loves, loves connecting people, meeting people, um, and going with where life takes me. Yeah. And I don't do a tremendous amount of planning, like not to the, okay, here's, here's the numbers that I have to meet. I'm not that type of person. I, because I'm much more spontaneous. I want to flow. I want to be open to more possibilities. So I, I know I'm deeply committed to my work, to my clients, to my students, to my family. Um, and then, and then from there, it's like, if I have, you know, a little extra time here and there, then, you know, then it's like more reading, you know, golf, you know, being near the water, being, you know, going to the ocean or the lake or whatever. So, um, my transformation is to be determined. I I love that though. I mean, I think there's something, there's an element of that, that is transformational. It's like taking off on a plane without knowing the destination. You know what I mean? Like you're, you are allowing yourself to go into a vehicle of going into the new year and saying, I submit to whatever this, whatever this year has to bring, like, bring it. Like I'm ready. You know, I, I, I have the tools. I wrote the book on it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's a direction. That's why in the book, one of the most powerful tools is the strategic compass. So this is what also for leaders, so many talk about doing our strategic plan and making our roadmap, our five-year roadmap. Forget it. Throw it away. It is not going to help be helpful for the future because what you should, what, what leaders need to use instead, especially now in 2021, and as they prepare their strategic thinking for the post-pandemic, you know, planning as well, they need a strategic compass. They need to be asking the questions that go along with the compass um, and keep adapting because that's what you do with a compass. You're exploring, you're scanning the environment, and you're making decisions based on what you learn. So the faster you learn, that is your competitive edge. And that's what oftentimes we don't think about is you know, what's our competitive edge is how fast can we, we learn and apply what we learn and um, keep moving, just keep moving forward. I love it. I love it. 
I think um, I, I I was writing down this is what I was doing, jotting notes because I like you're saying things that are I'm loving. Um, so every show that I do, Marsha, I ask the same two questions. And I think especially um, this first question I'm going to ask you is so important because there's so many golden nuggets of goodness that you've given us throughout this episode. But if you were to distill it down and you were to say that if there was one thing that somebody who listened to this episode or watched this on YouTube um, were to take away from this talk, what would be one thing that you would really want them to take to heart? Um, I mean, there's, like I said, there's so much, but what would be one thing that you would want them to take to heart? Oh, that is such a hard question because I want to answer it 5,000 different ways. <laughs> I think when I, when I look back to and reflect back about my pivot, my transformation after I met Dr. Deming and Dr. Gluckman, one of the most powerful things for me was that, and my son was about five or six years old and he was going to start school. And I, he would go through school like I went through school. You get the grades and the ribbons and all that sort of thing. And I had such a transformation that what I focused on was, and when I worked with school districts and, and so forth, focus on creating the joy in learning. So yes. with, with, his, with his teachers, uh, with him, raising him, I did not focus on the grades or all the accolades and things like that. I created for him and, and was able with his schools to keep grades out of the schools. And we focused on creating the joy of learning for the children and for my son at home. When he came home from school, I would say, what did you learn? Did you have fun? Those were the two two questions I always asked him. And then we would have conversations about those, but it was never about grades. And I've done the same thing with my MBA students. I, in the beginning, in the first class, I say to them, uh, okay, um, if you do these things, you know, your readings and participation, all these things, everybody gets an A. Now, when you think about the big universities, and I've taught at some of the, the best from New York to California, um, they're shocked. And sometimes it takes them a couple of weeks to believe that I'm serious. But then, then once they believe that, okay, I'm not focusing on the grade, they're not there to get a gr the grade, then I ask the question, what do you think you're here for? What will, if we're not focused on the grade, what are you, what will we focus on? And I remember one young manager saying kind of quietly learning. And I said, yes, yes. let's create the joy of learning because of everyone focuses on that, whether they be the little child or the uh, young supervisor or the superintendent or CEO, if we create an environment where everyone learns, improves, works, and innovates together, we can create anything. I believe that. And I'm excited. Like, I'm excited for what's to come because all the goodies that are brewing right now, you know, like all, the, there's so much 
genius that's happening that we don't even know that's happening right now. And so I'm excited to see where not just 2021, but what happens after 2021, what happens? I mean, eventually the pandemic will end eventually. It's exciting to see what will happen when we come out of that. Um, So the last question that I have for you, which does not have to do It does not necessarily have to do with anything to do with the topic that we've been talking about, but just for you personally, what has been something meaningful or um, important that someone has told you that you've really taken to heart and has been um, like the most important thing that you've ever been taught or you've heard? And sometimes for people, that's a quote that they've heard or something that they've been told by a parent or a grandparent. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, just something that they heard on TV, but it's something that really stuck. Um, what's something that is like a mantra or something important for you that that has really kind of stayed behind and kept you going? Yeah. Um, I, again, the the joy of learning stands out. So Love much. that. Yes. But um, one of the questions, the first question that Dr. Deming asked on the first morning of his four-day seminars was, why are we here? Ooh, and good one. He would, and he would say, and w- there would be different answers coming out of the audience. And, and he would say, to have fun, to learn, and to make a difference. And so that has been a, a, an underlying theme for me for now, more than 25 years, a theme in the book that is important, I think, to get away from things that are destroying people and organizations like standardized tests and measurements that don't mean anything. And um, another thing Dr. Deming said was the most important measures are unknown and unknowable, meaning we have to We can't measure all of the things that are the most important, like kindness and communication and caring and love and um, uh, influencing and mentioning. It would be nice if we could, but we can't, unfortunately. But but we don't need to. That's this point. There's no purpose in just counting and measuring everything. There's no purpose. So stop doing it. Stop wasting time doing that. I love that. I love that. And I have loved every part of this episode. I thank you so much for joining me. We're definitely going to be linking all of your um, information in the show notes, as well as the link to your book. Um, It's on Amazon as well, correct? And then guys, seriously, Marsha is on, she's like the LinkedIn queen. So find (laughs) her on LinkedIn, connect with her. She loves networking. She's fun to talk to and obviously has a lot of really important things to say that can maybe even change your life right now. So um, thank you, Marsha, so much for being part of the show. I'm really, really honored. And thank you to the audience for joining us for this episode. And this has been the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and we thank you for being with us this week and every week. And we will see you next time.